Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. Our goal is to get to the root issues of systemic problems using a theological and psychological lens. We hope you enjoy. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings. Malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration Services, their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and we're back again. And I've got Derek Dunn on the podcast today. He is a pastor and speaker, and he's done a lot of awesome stuff with really big churches. And we're going to talk about some of that today and talk about narcissism in the church and what it's like to be a leader and even the fear of leadership and um, and not falling into those patterns of narcissism. And so, Derek, man, welcome. I, you have a wife, Nicole. You have three kids. You recently are planning a church outside of the large church context and trying to get that off the ground and uh, figure out life. So, man, we have a lot to talk about today, and I'm thankful for you to come on. Man, first of all, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on the podcast with you, Clint. And uh, we're just getting to know each other a little bit, but we've kind of tracked along uh, each other's journeys. And I've checked out your podcast and know some friends who have really benefited from the work that you do in the counseling world. And so, man, it is uh, really a joy and an honor to to uh, share this time with you. Thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely, man. Well, tell us kind of your story, where, where you at, how you got there, um, how mental health maybe impacted that stuff and spiritual health and, and all that. Goodness. Well, uh, obviously, disclaimer from the beginning, uh, you're the expert here. So I, I feel like I'm one getting free counseling. So so just <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm grateful for that. But um, yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, man, at 16 years old, really had an experience with the Lord, grew up in church, uh, grew up in a Christian home, beautiful family, great, fa- uh, great parents. I've got three younger sisters and uh, we, we all to this day have, have a really tight knit uh, family unit. So I'm grateful for that. The Lord really was kind to me and nestling me in a, a really loving, nurturing, nurturing environment. Yeah. Uh, experienced some real family trauma in my some of my formative years, uh, which is a story in and of itself. But about from the time I was 15 to 18, we really experienced uh, just some some tumultuous years as a family. Uh, um, uh, but at 16, man, just really experienced a um, I had an experience with the Lord where where we captivated my heart, and I, and from that moment felt a gravitational pull that's just undeniable to me towards ministry. And mm-hmm. and I didn't know what that looked like. It was very general. Uh, some of the important people in my life were pastors. My dad has been in ministry for a very long time. So my role models and, and people I looked up to really were pastors, leaders, coaches. I grew up in that, that church environment. And so while I've had a lot of experiences that we can talk about, so much of my upbringing in the church, in a Christian school environment as well, mm. uh, 
while there are negative aspects to that that people bring up from time to time and we can certainly share about that it was it was generally positive for me and um and i feel like the lord gripped my heart during that time uh had some early experiences in ministry after high school got to uh, work in a in a large organization travel the world um had my eyes open to to uh things that that were cool and things that were shocking mm-hmm. you know in those, those early years of of ministry opportunities um came back from that experience went to college uh met my wife nicole there at louisiana college in, which is now LLC. louisiana christian yeah. yeah louisiana christian university they they uh changed the name there but um met nicole uh, helped my dad plant a church during that season, got married, had our first baby. It was like a whirlwind of life yeah, all happening at once. Yeah, <clears throat> and then dur- during that time, uh, got actually got a business degree at Louisiana Christian University with this sense of call to ministry. But I, I just, I didn't know, it, it was never mapped out for me. I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. I didn't, you know, being a pastor wasn't necessarily on my radar uh, I, I kind of loosely thought I would be a missionary or something or an evangelist and, mm-hmm. and just travel preach. That was kind of the general idea. Got to do some of that, still get to do some of that. But it was really during that um, time of college, meeting my wife, getting married, having our first baby, that, that I felt the Lord put this sense of pastoral call in my heart. And there's just a, a process of personally experiencing that and then um, uh people affirming that and going through an ordination process with my dad's church. And um, so a cool season, but man, from that point on, my, my life just kind of took on that trajectory um, was, was bivocational for a few years, but um, a few years into our marriage and, and after helping my dad plant that church opportunities to serve in uh, you know, full-time pastoral positions became available and we walked through a few doors and uh, and then landed at a large church here recently in the Dallas Fort Worth um, area and uh, served on staff here in multiple roles and most recently a campus pastor and now we're stepping into a season of of church planting and planting Tove City Church in uh, the fall of this year. So uh, obviously lots of gaps in that story, but that's the general uh, trajectory of ministry that we've been on. And and I've just seen a lot, and I'm curious to know what um, what this conversation uh, digs into, just because uh, I, I will say this, and it may help um, uh, leverage the moment here and segue into wherever we want to go or need to go. But um, I, one one small piece, which is obviously a story in of itself that I left out, is that in those early years of um, really be, I'm becoming a pastor, helping my dad plant this church almost reluctantly, because what had happened from that time when I was 16, had this experience with the Lord to this, you know, young 20 something, there's about a seven year period where um, kind of the gloss of ministry wore off pretty quickly just because I was exposed to some things that it just, sh- it's like, man, the it's like the curtain got pulled back in my, it's just kind of the shiny parts of ministry were shattered early on. And mm-hmm. some of that was jarring. And then because it was jarring, I was able to process that with, with my dad, who I'll probably talk about a lot, who's just, he's just a mentor to mine of mine. He's, he's, I mean, he's my best friend to this day and and really one of the main pastor voices in my life. 
you know, he was able to help me process some of that, um, you know, disillusionment with the church early on. And I'm really grateful for it. But some, something that came out of that was really a desire to walk away from not the faith, not walk away from the Lord, not walk away from God. I wasn't mad at God, but, but early on with this call in my heart, I'm kind of wrestling with the Lord going, man, I've seen some pretty cruddy stuff in the church and one, I don't want to be a part, I don't want to be part of the problem. Um, and so I think I'm done. I, don't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen something that I'm supposed to pursue. And, and obviously my, my perspective was very specific and limited to a, a certain vein of um, the church world. And I'm not trying to be mean or judgmental, but bro, I was done. Yeah. But this, this phrase that hit my heart during that time was this, Hey, Derek, for all for all of the reasons that you want to walk away from church and for all the reasons that your friends have walked away from the church, I want you to stay. And so, you know, I didn't really know everything that that meant, but from an early point in my ministry experience, I was kind of coming at it from this angle of like, man, if I can't be part of the solution I don't want to do this at all, you Mm -hmm. know, not to have a a savior complex or Messiah complex, just, man, I want to be part of the thing moving in the right direction. So, so with that, I kind of gave the, the high level view of where we've been, but that has really set the tone over the past 14, 15 years of, of ministry perspective that is both, you know, been awkward to carry, but at times it's, it's also been, been, been very beneficial in, in having my eyes opened, I think, to some of the cautionary aspects of, of what we should consider when we're approaching uh, church ministry, Christian ministry. Yeah, it's good stuff. What comes up for me, like right off the top is because I don't have that relationship with my father. Um, mm-hmm. And I was at a church Sunday. I was at a church Friday. I was, you know, going and speaking and talking. And I would say eight out of 10 times what I'm hearing is I've never been discipled. I Mm. don't have a male in my life who has led me or who I've seen um, do this well. I mean, pastors who have been in ministry for 25 or 30 years are getting to this point or 10, you know, their first 10 years are getting to this point where they they grew up in a home where their dad wasn't really discipling them. Maybe he went to church, maybe he didn't. They feel the call to ministry, right? They become a pastor or a leader. Some of them go to seminary. Some of them just plant churches. They then serve people and try to lead people through the power of the Holy Spirit and well, but like without any guidance or direction or any kind of previous, like I've seen a, th- this done well. Yeah. And I think that's what help you know hurts people falling into that because they're they're learning along the way to be a leader when they're not even sure. internally they don't even know who they are and they don't even know who God's called them to be, and they've never had a man kind of lead them into manhood and and hand them off to to ministry. So, I think one of the things amazing about your story is, in some ways, it it proves the gospel. Right? <laughs> it's like I hope that that's my kid's experience. Mm. So it's a beautiful thing, and I, and it's a rare thing because most of the podcasts I've talked to, most of the pastors I've talked to, it's the opposite story. It's it's really like we all have like kind of two testimonies: is we have my version, which is you know didn't get this at all, and yet God redeemed it and restored it and is working it out. But it's been really, really messy. And again, not that yours hasn't been somewhat messy. But then we have your story of, oh, I had a dad who modeled this for me. I had a dad who pursued me and who, uh, who discipled me and, and taught these things to me. And so there's a resilience, resiliency in you 
right? Like hard things are hard, but there is a understanding and a place and a confidence that I feel from you um, that it should be encouraging to parents who are trying to parent their kids and going, okay, if I keep going in these ways, scripture says, right, that, that our children won't depart. They might struggle. They're going to suffer. They're going to have hard times. But man, they'll have a foundation because of all these things that I did from zero to 18 and all these ways I modeled it. Does that make sense? Oh, my goodness. I think it's one of it's one of my favorite conversations. And, uh, you know, from the jump, I, I just acknowledge the fact that I'm, I'm blessed. I, I realize I just, it's God's favor on my life, unmerited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just having exposure, you know, now to many pastors, uh, leading at high levels, overseeing large staffs of uh, people that are old, you know, older than me with lots more experience. Um, one of the greatest gaps I see in people's lives is that lack of, um, a, a, a father or, or some sort of presence through relationship that mm-hmm. provided the de- developmental aspects that are needed. It's so many of the gaps that I see in the church uh, from my experience and, and limited uh, perspective is, is not skill set. Right. It's not a skill set gap. It's a, it, it's, it's a fatherhood gap. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a meeting with someone who um, I'm, you know, should be a practical meeting uh, talking about how we can serve the church and, and make the church better. But what we end up landing on is, is a, a missing personal gap in, in their life. And I'm, you know, I remember having a conversation with my own dad going, man, so many of the conversations I'm having with pastors right now, I probably would not be having if, if they would have had a dad in their life. Mm-hmm. So, um, or, you know, a, a dad who, who could really mirror back to them, uh, what was necessary for, for, um, you know, maturity. But one thing I want to say, like my, my life is so messy. My, like right. my past is so messy. Like my, it was just a dumb teen who really I'm going, I don't know what I would have done. So it really is the redemptive work of the Lord in people's lives. Everybody needs it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm grace neater number one right here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but to see the Lord's hand at work in people's lives who are fatherless or who did not get those, uh, the nurturing aspect of uh, a good present fatherhood parenting uh, it's so beautiful to see the Lord redeem that. And then for someone in that situation to be able to, to, to leverage what they didn't have in order to uh, be, be a, a transformational type of person and a, a strong presence for their children. It, it really is just, God, I don't know how we do it without, we, I don't know how anyone does it without the Lord. I don't know how I would not be here. I would not be probably alive if it wasn't for uh, the grace of God. And I had a dad. So, I mean, it's just miraculous to me when somebody lands in a space of <laughs> just being able to function with that, with all of those gaps. So it's, it's just, we, we should all be so grateful for the Lord's grace in our lives. And um, I, I'll say that with, when it comes to, to parenting for me and, and really just life and ministry, um, be, because I'm aware of the fact, like I'm not an expert, like I'm, I'm not a, a professional Christian and, and really don't have, you know, I don't have some, some real deep 
education to to leverage into the world. I'm I'm going on uh, the the sheer reality that I'm the product of people who who cared enough about me, whether they realized it or not, I realized it, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm the, the product of people's intentional contributions in my life, mm-hmm. you know, source, source in point, you know, or, or origin point, you know, mom and dad, but, but pastors and, and, and leaders and people who had the wherewithal either intentionally or unintentionally uh, to say things at the right time and be present at yeah. the right time man, I'm the product of that kind of thing. And so when it comes to, you know, whatever it may be um, influence wise and, and something Nicole and I, my wife and I do is, is we want to, we want to pastor from the home out and really that it really starts from the heart out. Um, uh, you know, it's the heart, you and the Lord, it's the marriage, you and the spouse, and it's the family, you, your spouse and your children. Bro, I, I, I've said something many times where it's like, bro, I don't want to leave the house if the infrastructure is not in place. And 100, I w- yeah, I wouldn't have that value system if, <clears throat> if I didn't have the awareness that that it's, it's not like I just became good at ministry, man. I'm the recipient of investment, mentorship, and maybe we can talk about that some as well. Just the yeah. uh, perspectives on mentorship that are super helpful. Yeah, I think the other question I have for you. So if if you um, now that I have a unicorn in front of me who has a healthy parent and who got discipled, um, well, like dysfunction everywhere. So please, I hope I'm not painting a perfect picture. There's no, no, and I'm not trying to paint you into a corner either. Listen, God had God, Adam and Eve had perfect parents, and they screwed up. <laughs> Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm the same way with you. Like, I don't want people thinking, you know, I don't want to think, hey, I'm a therapist. Like, hey, I'm a pastor. Hey, somebody's helped me. So if I just do all the right things, my kids will all be perfect little angels. Like, and, you know, I'm not, we're not saying that. But I do think it's a beautiful thing that we don't see often enough of what real discipleship looks like and the, and the positive con, you know, uh, consequences of that in a good way. You know, we're in my field, especially I'm helping people recover all the time, but there's a, there's a huge need for conversation around prevention and the benefits in a real tangible way for people not to just go, well, teach your kids not to drink and cuss. Like, you know, Hey, bring your kids to church, but no, like lead them and teach them and model for them so that they have a example of Christ. Right. Oh, that, so, because we don't, uh, I think one of the problems with people is they don't run into Jesus enough. Mm-hmm. You know, they, we give them the, they go to church, they listen to worship music, they listen to podcasts like this and they go, I hear you. I hear that you're saying Jesus is this person, but man, I just have no experience of people who turn the other cheek. I have no experiences of people who speak with grace and truth. I have no experiences of people who will wash my feet. Like I have no experiences with people who have boundaries and who will say, Hey, you know, I'm not going to die today. I'll die when God calls me to like all these things that we can go into. So I I think it's a beautiful thing to, to, to talk about that because I talk about the other side all the time. So I think it's such a valuable thing. So in light of that, because you had a good foundation and because your, your dad's your best friend and you had parents that discipled you, and it seems like you had some pretty positive, healthy mentors in your life. When the, when the trauma happened and when the um, external kind of cues of like people are messy and people are broken and there's pain and they're, Oh, these, did you have like a, I think a lot of people, because they don't have it, 
they get sucked into church pastors and they get abused and the consequences are far greater because mm-hmm. they didn't even realize halfway in that it was unhealthy. Does that make sense? Like they're yeah. looking for mentors. They're looking for this thing that you had. And so they compromise so much. They get abused sexually, emotionally, physically. They, they minimize like the unhealth in the people they see because they're supposed to be good people. They're supposed to be good leaders. And then they're six months in or three years in or five years into trauma and abuse in the church. And then they realize, oh, I'm dealing with a narcissist. Oh, I'm dealing with an abuser. Oh, I'm dealing with somebody who has unhealthy boundaries. So my question is, since you had a pretty good healthy model of that, since you had like you had Jesus kind of in your life more going, okay, here's how a man acts. Here's how a dad acts. Here's how somebody is not perfectly, but pretty well did that. Do you think that impacted your ability and your resiliency to survive those things? one and then did you pick up on those cues pretty quickly um because you were like i have a model for what this looks like and this isn't it so that's a great that's a great question uh i think it certainly has given me resilience you know i think i think somehow seeing and kind of surviving some of the church drama trauma um narcissism that i've that i've seen uh has given me a grit you know i've 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 shared my story with a few people and they're like how are why are you still a pastor and how are you still how do you how do you even want to go to church and and it you know it's coming from a deeper place i'm not i'm not working from externalities i'm yeah. I'm, I'm working from a, a deeper sense of calling and well, contribution can- can you give me maybe, you know, as vulnerable as you want to be with it, maybe yeah. just a, a three or four minute kind of what actually happened. You don't have to name names or whatever, but just, just so that people can see like what that is. And then we can finish that conversation. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, I think it's probably what hasn't happened. You know, I've, I've never <laughs> been, never been physically abused by a pastor. You know, I've not, um, God, I've heard the horror stories of what's going on, what has gone on, the 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 sexual, physical, physical, and 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 lots of verbal abuse. I'd say I've experienced some verbal abuse. Uh, what's what's so interesting is, um, you know, you when you when you grow up in the church and you learn to respect and revere spiritual leaders and authority, it's especially when you're young, you learn to make excuses for these people. Minimize. And um, I, you know, going back to your previous point, not to miss this one, I want to come back, but, but I I have hindsight 2020 being 38 years old, I can look back and go, man, I've got a lot of grit because of what I've experienced. But in real time, uh, I think it was difficult for me to see what somebody was up to and, and, you know, call it lack of discernment, lack of experience, lack of exposure to unhealth, mm-hmm. which is good to some extent to kind of be protected from some of that stuff in a nurturing environment. But, but then being exposed to it, I think if, if Nicole was sitting right here, she'd be like, Derek, you, you had no discernment, you know, because <laughs> I, I had learned to grow trusting of, of church leaders. And I mm-hmm. think that that's so, so many people's story and, and, goodness, like, wouldn't that be great if that was what it was like, it was easy. And we should, I I think biblically speaking, man, we should be able to trust church leaders, but the track record is that there's a, there's a strong reason not to. And I think the social trend even doesn't help at all. And, and then all the the abuses that get exposed. So, man, I, I would say that the most 
prevalent exposure that I've had to unhealthy church leadership has got to be most quantified and described. And I don't want to throw this term around loosely, but it's got to be at least um, the working uh, title has got to be narcissistic um, behavioral patterns. Okay. You know, I'm not somebody that would want to even pretend to diagnose somebody, but just, just through different resources. Yeah. I've, I've gone, Oh, that, that is this. I've witnessed that, you mm -hmm. know, Chuck wrote's book when narcissism comes to church was such a good resource for me. I picked it up right when it came out because that, that language had, had become so necessary for me to, um, to explore because of an ex a very specific experience I had on a church staff where I had, I had zero, I didn't know what a narcissist was. I didn't know what narcissism was. I think I learned that word in like middle school, learning about the historical figure or something one time, yeah, you yeah. know? And I'm, but, but here it is popping up in, in my life as an adult working at a church, working for someone who I'm going, I'm concerned that they are displaying behaviors that is, you know, are these narcissistic behaviors, you know, I never would have searched unless what ended up happening was in this, I mean, we could probably have a 24 hour podcast talking about different experiences that we've, we've either heard about or experienced ourselves. But, um, I started having, uh, experiences and interactions with, with one specific leader that left me just feeling like, I don't remember saying that, but he said, I said that, you know, I don't remember committing to this, but somehow I'm finding myself dragged into this, um, just, just some real, uh, unhealthy relational dynamics. And, and the general sense was, um, man, I'm anxious to be around this person and I didn't do anything wrong. I actually have, I've been over functioning to make sure nothing mm -hmm. falls through the cracks, but, but I'm, I'm just experiencing this deep sense of dread and fear that for some reason I'm not doing something wrong. And then, and then the environment that I've, I've come to know as, Chuck DeGroat so uh uh you know well well spokenly uh, says you know there's a crazy making factor to to this yep. to this narcissistic system so i experienced just what i would 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 come to uh describe as multiple instances of narcissistic environments that that left me feeling like just just I'm like, am I crazy? Right. What's going on here? And which, I mean, we, you know, gaslighted yeah. is a big term that gets thrown around all the time now, but like, right. that is what happens, right? Like you feel, you leave the relationship feeling like you're crazy, like your identity, who you think you are, how you think you communicate, yeah. the perception in which you present yourself to, to people is just completely right. opposite of what you actually think. Yeah. And yet it, it's really only in this environment, but then it makes you start to question yourself in all these other environments. So and, true. And yeah, that that's when you're dealing with narcissism. And I think gaslighting narcissism, I mean, one of the problems in our culture now is I'm so glad as a clinician that we know all these words, but then everybody calls everybody everything. And you're just like, okay, you're around. watering down the actual thing. You know, you're, right. you know, ADHD or, you know, gaslighting. It's like, you know, whatever. So I think 
just to be clear with people listening, not everybody who's mean or who's like, doesn't come to your party one time is a narcissist, but like, there's some patterns. It's kind of like bullying just because a kid calls you a punk or trips you in the hallway. You're not being bullied, but if he does that over and over again, repetitively using power and control is specific to you, then it's bullying. So same thing with narcissism. Um, yeah, man, I think, I think there's a lot of that in the, in the church, but the church is a system. And I think one of the major problems we have is that the, you know, the church, as you know, has become more of a business model than a community. And so whether it's a bank or whether it's a church and you have one guy at the top who has all the power and everything trickles down from him, he has very little accountability, has very little um, emotional or spiritual um, maturity or ever had to really work on any of the depth of that. Um, Then that's what breeds narcissism at the, you know, in these systems. So, you know, we, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't want to hate on the church because the church is amazing. And there's, you know, in spite of our, despite all of our sin and our brokenness, God is using it to do amazing things. Unlike any other group of people, but the church as a system, as a model, as a business, as a structure and hierarchy, that's what's really fueling, in my opinion, these things, because in some, a lot, in a lot of ways, it's sometimes not biblically set up. So true. I I think from the early, you know, from the early church, from the beginning, you see this idea of transparency. Everybody was being transparent with everything and being like, yeah, you're not part of this thing unless you are fully transparent with, with your life and with your money and with your, uh, and so I, I think where we get ourselves in trouble today is we're, we're lending our spiritual vulnerabilities to people who are not vulnerable themselves or mm. trans themselves or accountable themselves. And, and I would just, I would just want to say to somebody like, man, if it's, it's great to have a church and a pastor that you can trust, my goodness, I want that for everybody. But if, if that pastor a is, is just not accountable, um, that's not good. But man, if he's not approachable, like if, if, I'm not saying a pastor of a big church has time to meet with everybody. I'm, I'm not trying to say that he needs to be your buddy or your best friend or that you need to know everything about him. But if somebody doesn't know everything about him, that's what's concerning, you know, and, and uh, I just think there's a lot of pastors who, um, you know, they, they, they so desire the lack of limits. So anybody that can uh, put a, put a lid on them, anybody that can call them out, anybody that can um, bring them into accountability. And they've completely ostracized that dynamic out of their life. And so many of these, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash on big churches. It's not about big churches, but, but, but powerful um, leadership models and systems have really ostracized accountability and they've worked within the system approval systems that they would call accountability but really what it's doing is it's 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 helping to firm up the construct of the 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 appearance of accountability and what we're really doing is just going hey uh, we're bolstering what we want people to think or see or believe about us, but it's it's not a true a- accountability system. That's good, man. I think we have to break down some words. Uh, so accountability people hear all the time. 
Sure. Um, you know, it's kind of that buzzword. We need accountability. And what I, I love reframing is like, so if I'm going to, me and you are in a relationship one in order to hold you accountable, I have to know you. Yeah. Like I have to know your strengths. I have to know your weaknesses. And in some ways I need to know what I would call your testimony or your story. Like what has impacted you? How has Satan attacked you? And then what has God redeemed and how is he redeeming things in you? If I don't know those basic things about you, then I cannot hold you accountable. Yeah. Right. And if you don't come to me and say, Hey, I'm submitting to you for your accountability, then that's also a problem. All of that is in my opinion, what we would call should call biblical discipleship. And if I'm holding you a account, like, you know, Jesus is speaking in trace truth and grace at all times. And one of the problems I see, especially as men is let's take anger with your wife or drinking or porn or whatever that the, the thing we're holding ourselves accountable for what, ter- what it's turned into is behavior modification. You know, we're not in community. So we meet on Tuesday nights. We don't see each other any other week you know, we meet on Sunday for a staff meeting and we go, Hey, I lost my temper this week. I need some accountability. Hey, I looked at porn this week. I need some accountability. And somebody goes, okay, we got you. We'll pray for you not to do that. And we'll check and see if you did that next week. Right? Like that's kind of the system. It's like, did I, did I do that again? Did I do that behavior again? Oh man, you did. Okay. We'll pray for you. Here's a book to read. Here's some more information about this subject. Don't do it again. Mm. And then, and then, you know, it's this rinse and repeat thing. And then, then it turns into, Hey man, you don't need to do that. That's a sin. Like stop doing it, you know, whatever. And that's, that's the accountability that no one wants because everybody's like, well, I already know it's a sin. I already feel terrible about it. I don't need you to make me feel worse about it. So taking an account accountability to me is taking an account of our ability. Mm, That's good. And so as Christians, when I have people that I'm in relationship with, whether that's a client or a friend, I'm going, Hey man, I know you, you know, you, you struggle with, with lust this week, or you bought something you shouldn't, or you drank too much last weekend, or you lost your temper with your wife. That's not who you are. It's good, right? You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You stand in his righteousness. Um, you know that comes from your dad, right? You know that comes from that abuse that happened. You know that the root cause of that is sin that happened to you, that you experienced, but that's not who you are, man. So we've got to find some ways that you can walk in who you are because when you were doing that behavior, you forgot who you were. Like that's the kind of accountability that I'd like to see us learn to do and lead and teach people in the church instead of just accountability is just, I'm going to manage your behaviors for you. Does that make sense? Oh man. I think you're, you're tapping into a reality of the essence of the church that it almost sounds like you're speaking a foreign language right now (laughs) because we're, uh, you see this word discipleship, disciples, you know, in the Bible, and and that would, you know, we jump to this idea of accountability and everything you just said. I, I completely agree with, and um, but but what's interesting is that this is not just supposed to be an optional aspect of Christian life. Yep. It's it's actually it's the central human dynamic of the Christian faith. Yes. You know, we, we've really kind of individualized Christianity for people. We've, we've simplified the opt in to Christianity and it's like, man, we, yeah, we, we don't want to put up 
you know, boundaries. We want people to be able to, to connect with God. And we, and we want people to, to have a sense of connecting connection with the church. And we, we want to give people an opportunity to, you know, receive Jesus as their savior and, and bro, it's all beautiful. Yep. Uh, as long as it leads to what we're talking about here in, in a, and that's discipleship. And, and I would just say that, you know, everything you said about accountability, uh, it only happens through, yes, it's, it's the picture of discipleship, but it's discipleship happens within the confines of relationship. Yes. And, and you, you spoke to the identity of a person who someone is not just behavioral modification. I think because we've become so, programmatic in the church and so focused on results and um, so um, uh, in product uh, consumeristic Mm -hmm. just kind of numbers and production. Yeah. Numbers production. It's kind of become this robust corporate model of inputs and outputs. We've, we've really where discipleship exists we even, I believe, have got to come out of that uh, mindset of of the big and the corporate, and kind of tweak how we even talk about discipleship. And and it's this, it's it, it's what I said. It's that discipleship happens in the confines of relationship. But what I mean by that is, it has to do with this idea of um, I'm gonna. I'm going to put two words next to each other and I'm not trying to create a dichotomy, but it will, it will kind of serve its purpose. We, we talk a lot about in the U S especially because of business, because of sports, because of school, because of competition, we use this word development. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very appropriate word in the psychology world. From what I can understand, we're talking about human development, some things that happen naturally, some, some things that have to be nurtured, some things that are nature, you know, and and you're talking about human development, but then, then when we begin to use this word of development within discipleship, I'm not saying it's wrong. I would just submit a slightly different word, and that is the word discovery mm-hmm. rather than development. Because because here's what that does for me as a pastor or someone who's in relationship, uh, in, in a discipleship relationship. Instead of me coming to a person and and thinking form, formulaic with them, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm going to I'm going to posture myself um, with a a discovery lens. If you and I are working together and you're coming to to me and saying, "Hey, Derek, I would love some accountability in my life. I would love to." I'm first and foremost going to be thinking relationship. I'm going to know that if we're just going to be transactional, it's going to become behavioral modification. I may have some ideas of tools and practices that may work, but I need to have the assumption that you know you might just need something else. But the biggest assumption that I need to make if I'm going to be a, a biblical pastor or spiritual leader, I've got to believe that God cares about you as a person and your soul and the true development in your life more than I do yep. and more than I have the capacity to, <laughs> to, to draw out of you or learn or about, to, right. Or to, or to pour into you. Yeah. So bro, this has become a, I love that. This has become a philosophical ministry shift for me yep. from 
um, from a marital standpoint, from a discipling, pastoring my own children into overseeing teams and staffs and, and, and lay people or congregants as they come to me looking for this type of spiritual direction. My job is not to come up with a game plan for them. We can get to that. There may be necessities for that in a more coaching con context. My goal though, as a spiritual leader is to go, Lord, what are you doing in this person's life? Who is this person? Mm -hmm. And how can I come alongside you as you bring about in uh, bring about what your purposes are for this person. So I'm, if I'm discipling somebody, it's a discovery mission for me, not like, not directly a development uh, process. Like, yeah, developing them. I want to just, I want to go on a discovery journey with them, man. That's super good. I I love that. Um, I love the language of that. Uh, I I agree a hundred percent. Obviously as a therapist and a pastoral care person and somebody who loves to pastor people, I think it's, that's a hundred percent spot on. It makes me think of two things. One, isn't that interesting because that's kind of how we've taught the gospel to people too. Like it's become behavior modification because we go to the word of God and go, it tells us what God is and what he wants from us. So let's just keep reading and arguing about that so we can just do the right thing. So God's happy Hmm. versus no, the Bible is a, is a story of who God is. So good. And you need to develop, right. You need to uh, have a relationship with him where you explore. And what was the word you use? Um, Discover, discover who he is, right. Not follow these tasks to figure out what he wants. I mean, that is part of it. There Absolutely. are things he wants us to do, but, Absolutely. but even in our theology, right? It would, we would, if we get really down to it, it's, we don't do anything. The Holy spirit is the one doing these things. So even at the core, the tasks that we do, we give him the glory for and go by the grace of God, you've done these things apart from anything I can do. So discovering who God is, is, is a beautiful way of looking at it. So then instead of going, well, I didn't do this right today, or I did this wrong today, or I did this behavior wrong today. Scripture is saying, well, Jesus paid for all of that anyway. Like all that's done. Like what's been, what's been, what is, and what will be that sin Christ took and bore and sacrificed himself for. So you don't really have to worry about figuring out exactly how to live a perfect life. So I'm happy. I'm already happy with you. I already love you. I already am pursuing you. And as we accept that, we discover who God is in a way that's beautiful and I, I also love that you talked about your kids because that's what I teach people a lot when it comes to parenting is that your kid is a separate being from you, right? You're not, your job isn't to, and I fall victim to this all the time in my own brain with my own kids, but I'm like, okay, I got to be a perfect little person and, and disciple a perfect way and have all these scenarios and we got to do Bible study this long and we've got to do sports this much and we've got to curate and develop in you this these characters and these traits and these spiritual you know gifts and if not, I'm not doing my job right, right? And it's like, right. instead, what I want to do is figure out who my kid is like who God's kid is really like he's God's child. God's created him. God is shaping him in spite of, and thank God uh, in place of what I'm doing, 
who are you? Like, who, what is your personality? What is your biological markers? What epigenetics things do you have that are different from me? What kind of personality traits do you have that I can't stand? And how does that sanctify me? (laughs) And, you know, all of that discovery stuff. So yeah, man, that, that gives me some good. I love you. I'm going to steal that and use that language for sure, because it's, uh, I say all that stuff all the time, but I love the discovering, um, phrase is really, really awesome. You know, and what it gets at is this idea of identity. Mm -hmm. I think this idea of, you know, misplaced identity, ego, like ego protecting our false identity and, and fragile sense of, I don't know who I am. And so I'm just going to bolster what people see of me and think of me like the whole crux of, Christianity is is a new you, a new identity, a new creation, and 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 the Christian life is lived out of who you are. The doing comes from being. Yep. Yes, the Lord has called us to be Christians and live Christian lives and be like Christ, become more like Christ, and serve. And there's all of this output, but the output flows. From the true source, this is what Jesus is getting at with the Pharisees. Yep, he's going, man. It's not what a man puts in his mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his mouth. It's what's from you know. So he's 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 constantly just getting at the heart, which is who you are. It's the identity. It's it's are you in Christ, and has he because of who he is, has he shaped who you are, and are you discovering that, mm. and when? Do, man, that's when the the beauty of the Christian faith comes alive because then it's an outflow and not a um, a frictional process of trying to figure out how to be a good Christian. While that's a great goal, we want to help people discover, man, who who is who am I in Christ? And so mm-hmm. I see, you know, the the issues that that man that people are having as they're discovering these personality issues in, in other leaders or finding these personality issues in themselves. It's, I would love to submit at least the idea that it's, it's just, it's misplaced identities. Yep. And, and then that's a scary thing, especially when you start asking the question, who am I? And nothing pops up like, bro, I'm, I mean, this is a real question. The identity crisis of who am I and and it's like blank answer that yeah. that that is like fuel for the ego well and if it, if you you know as we're helping people and walking with people and discipling people um the sad part is is that for many of us our identity is in what we do it's right. in, it's in being a pastor yeah you know it's in so, being a counselor it's in being a mom or a dad it's in being an athlete it's in being you know, whatever it is that you do that you're putting your whole life into. And yes, there's things that God has us to do and spaces that he has us to fill that he has no one else to fill it, but that's not our identity. And I think in America, especially and within the church culture, success has been largely placed on the back of that, on what you can achieve, how much, how much stability you can have in income and in status and in wealth and, and all these things. And so I go back to, you know, I work, you talk about Christian schools, you know, I, I work a lot with Christian schools, go in and speak and teach. And, and one of the things I ask them is how many, okay. So if, if we, we all agree that all that's not good, like we, you know, if people listen to this and go, okay, great, Derek, great Clint. Like that's, that's, 
our society sucks and we shouldn't be doing this. So what should we be focusing on? It's like, okay, well, emotional and spiritual maturity. And what's that mean? Well, that means learning to have humility and to buy and to abide in Christ and to center yourself on that and get yourself out of the way, you know, focus on ego death, pay attention to your, your proclivities and your fears and your anxieties, how those go up. How much time do we spend teaching kids to do that? Yeah. Right. Like they're in school for eight hours a day learning all the behavior modification, all the education, all the information that they need. They're seeing their parents less than four and a half hours a week face to face, the average kid. At what point do they learn it? Right. And I think that's one of the problems is we have kids graduating at 18 and 19 and 20 who haven't been discipled, who are now in a church or in a role of leadership or given all this authority or given all this responsibility. Um, Just yesterday I was talking to somebody about I was look, I was watching a pastor speak and he was one of the kind of mega church people and and you know just the congregation was all fired up on him and and I was like man what a what a crazy system in which you just have these people like in a neighborhood who all of a sudden become like your team and they just follow you but you don't have a relationship with them but they're you're their pastor and so they they're going to follow everything that you do it's like you're their celebrity yeah it's just wild and so it's like on, you have two parts. You have the us as people allowing that and wanting that and fueling that. And then you have the system of the leader who is stuck in that isolated, you know, never been de- developed or discovered yeah. as I go. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it's a, it's a mess. And I think that if we as pastors and people in our spheres of influence, don't put a heavy focus on slowing down, really working on if people understand humility and who they are in Christ and their identity and repairing that identity damage and helping people go, Hey, this is an identity issue. Like, where did this start? Where did you start to doubt your worth and value? And one of the things I do a lot with clients is probably two or three sessions in, I just did it yesterday. We're sitting with somebody and I said, okay, so we've, we've talked about all this. God's looking at you right now, right? He's, he's looking at you. What does he think? And I would say seven and maybe 75% of the people that I know that go to church, put their head down and go, man, and they either cry or they, they get mm-hmm. upset and they say, I think he's really disappointed in me. Wow. And right there lets me know we've got a lot of work around identity to do, right? We've got a lot mm-hmm. of fractured understanding of who God is, who other people are, and then who we are. And as the church sometimes is set up, we don't make room for that. Yeah. Because we have events to go to. We have the lost to save. We have, um, you know, things to put out. We have podcasts to do. We have all these things that we, we need to be working on and producing. So other people come and the numbers go up and we can prove to the board or whoever else that we're doing it. And the people who are sitting around us who are the people who are supposed to be doing that work. Don't even know who they are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I think you just articulated a lot of the wrestling that Nicole and I are uh, facing as we're stepping into a season of planting a church. Um, You know, this may sound, I don't know what this sounds like, but I'll just say it. Um, The idea of having a large church, I've been exposed to that. It's, it's not like, it's not in our, it's not our goal to have a large church. In fact, we were having a conversation and we're just, she and I processing just what we're facing and, and, you know, going, man, we're, we're, we're stepping into this season of planting a church and there's already people who have 
joined us in this journey and and considering what we're doing their their church now and 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 man i just love her heart and it really gave me food for thought she said derek you know if the church gets big how will we pastor all those people that and that's i just thought perfect oh it, well, it was such a beautiful question and and i think it clearly articulated obviously my wife's heart to make sure people are not just part of not just a number and a seat and not just attenders to services but there's got to be a value shift man and i'm not saying we can't have big churches but the value shift has, has got to be from attendance to discipleship and that discipleship has got to happen in the confines of not just systems and processes and and classes i think those things are great resources but we've got to seriously figure out and i think there's some great people out there uh, uh, who are who are providing good resources as long as we're able to utilize them well there's got to be an overhaul not just of processes but of complete value system shift in the church and I believe it's it's towards this idea of discipleship but we've got to go on a long journey and I, I don't know that it's going to happen broadly I think it's going to have to be kind of a a one by one wake up reality check where pastors are going man uh, I've not done a good job discipling. I've not been a good disciple and and I've not discipled people well. And really it's it's lack of experience, it's lack of exposure, it's lack of definition, it's it's lack of that being an actual part of our culture. You know, one of one of my influences is uh has written extensively on this idea of discipleship and he 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 suggests we replace the word with kind of a more familiar word, but it can be also vague. And it's the word apprenticeship. You know, we, we need to be people who are following Jesus in a way directly that looks like apprenticeship. And then only then will we, we truly be able to help other people come into this, this dynamic of, uh, you know, really discovering our identity in Christ, but it, it's, it's, it's got to go to that. And, and so I think that that's why parenting from a Christian perspective, marriage from a Christian perspective can be such a great, a great starting point, man. I, I don't want to be able to pastor a big church and miss my children and miss my wife. I, I want to be on mission to 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 help them discover their identities with the Lord and okay this is a little bit of a it's not a left turn but it's a thought that that kind of is in the air with this idea of being a, a big church pastor um the, well that's a that's a loaded thought there's so much that goes with it but this idea of um needing to be needed within the church world, I find is, is very, very, uh, touchy, you know, and, and I'm not trying to project this onto everybody that's a pastor, but what I've discovered is that there are a lot of, because of missing links in that identity thing, there's a lot of people who are their, their pastoral work, their church work is the thing that they identify with. And, and quite frankly, they're, they're they're they've lost themselves to ministry in mm -hmm. in the the phrase of what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul is actualized in church as a pastor yeah. i've gained the church world 
and I've lost my soul in the process or I never knew who I was in the process. And what that creates is this, I've got to create a need for people to need me. Mm-hmm. And I would just say that 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 whole framework has got to be flipped. We want to serve people. We want to be a resource to people. We genu- genuinely want to help and serve people come along. But our goal has actually got to be for them to not need us and to realize their need for Jesus. And the thing that they want or need to connect with me on is, is whatever I've got to offer them that makes the connection galvanized between them and Jesus, yes. not them and me. Dude, I, it, I find it fascinating. Yeah. Last thing I'll say that Jesus himself said, it's better that I go and that the, the comforter come, the spirit come. Bro, if it's better for Jesus to go, yeah. who am I to think that it's better for me to stay and make sure people are reliant on me for their spiritual health and spiritual growth? I want to, I'll serve if, if it's the rest of my life, I'll walk a lot, I'll walk alongside someone, but my, that's not my goal. If they need that, I want to do that. I want to be a faithful pastor who serves faithfully in the same direction. But at the same time, I never want to create a dynamic of codependency as a pastor that makes people uh, reliant on me so that I've got rear ends and seats and money in the bank and we're growing and the metrics are up. And I think we've just got to have a paradigm shift of, of why and what we're doing. And, and I want people to connect to Jesus. If, if I have anything to do with that, I want to, I want to be kind of a, I just want to be a liaison for a moment mm-hmm. and just serve that process. And then when it's time, I need to get out of the way yeah, man. I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, that's, um, all the things that I'm talking to so many people about, you just eloquently said, because being a disciple of Christ, being an, you know, an apprentice of Christ, like you said, that applies to like your marriage, your parenting and your church. So if we yeah. start at that root, who's your first people you should be doing ministry with and be a missionary to it's your kids and your wife. We don't, we don't, we shouldn't have them be dependent on us either. Right. And that's, I love the parenting language. That's like, I'm not trying to create codependent children that uh, that we're trying to help them become independent and resourceful. Yeah. But, but we're not because we're so when we're wounded and I, I mean, all of us are victim of this, but like when we're wounded, we want our kids to think we're the best. We want yes. our kids to think we're perfect. We want our kids to affirm us. We want our kids to see how hard we're trying. We want our kids to, you know, need us and want us and hug us and love us and kiss us and see everything that we're doing for them. So we're okay. And we have a whole culture of parents who are so dysregulated by their kid crying or having mm-hmm. a weakness or having an attitude or breaking down or failing or struggling because it's become such a reflection of us. And mm-hmm. I spent a whole chapter in, in my book on this kind of topic of like this child, this narcissistic way of parenting, but it's a narcissistic way of being a spouse. And it's a narcissistic way of being a leader when you need everyone else to be okay. So you're okay. So good. Bro. We want to be dependent on Jesus. Like we want to be dependent on the Holy spirit's power in us but we don't want to, we don't really know how to navigate dependence on our spouse without being codependent or dependent on our kid without being codependent. 
And we've got to work that out in relationships and in the body of Christ and by confessing and by following biblical principles in community so we can know when we're on the line and when we're not. That's what accountability is, right? It's like, hey, my wife and I are having intimacy issues or we're having communication issues or we're talking through these, you know, these behavioral things, these, this fruit that's coming up in my life doesn't seem fruitful. So we want to deal with it. Okay. Well, is that a you issue? Are you humbling yourself or are you expecting your, your spouse to do something? So you're okay. Mm. And sometimes people go, well, they have to do something. They're my, they're my husband, right? Like they're my wife. They have a role to play. They do. But at the end of the day, when they're not doing their part, what is your responsibility? Well, my responsibility is to humble myself and be a servant like Christ did. You know, we were reading Peter this morning in our discipleship group. It's like he didn't get mad at people when they didn't give to him. When they talked back to him or resented him, he didn't respond negatively backwards. He made himself a bond servant. He washed feet. He went to the cross knowing no one would accept it or appreciate it or value it. That's not me, brother. Like, I want my wife to value me. I want my kids to value me. I want my clients and the people I lead to see the sacrifices and the effort. And I want them to thank me for it. Right. Now, I try to die to that. But deep down, when it's on me and I'm not walking in the spirit, that's what comes up. Because why? Because I'm in pain because my life has been filled with not getting that affirmation. Right. And so I'm still trying to fill this thing up that only Christ can fill up, that only the Holy Spirit can fill up. And it always goes to hell when I try to do it that way. <laughs> so, but man, I think so good, but you're touching on that very uh, refined point that I think this whole discussion goes to, which is you cannot do that alone. And what I would challenge you to as you're and I don't know your tr- structure, but I think one of the problems that we see in church, American church is uh, a hierarchy led leadership instead of an elder led or a co-led, um, leadership. And so as churches grow, right, if, if pastor means to shepherd and shepherd means to disciple and disciple means to teach, and that means you have to have time with people. You have to sit with people. You have to hear their stories. You have to have them in your house. You have to be in their house. Their kids have to play with your kids. Like you have to see their marriages and their lives. And you can't do that if you have 150 people and you're one person. Right. Right. So it's like, there has to be a system in which, and I think the Bible like gives us this system with the disciples, like where it's shared leadership. And even if they're not the head, even if they're not the paid pastor, you have people who you're bringing up who are, who are, you're doing that with, and there's account, there's deep, rich accountability there. And then there. So as you're growing, you're like, Oh, we need another elder. We need another worship leader. And that worship leader needs to be mentoring other worship leaders. And, and this person needs to be. So when I leave or if I leave or God, the Holy spirit moves me, there's a person within our community to raise up and we're not going and looking at another church and pulling somebody from there. And again, I'm not saying all that's bad. I'm just saying it raises when you, when you do that, it raises all the risk to all these problems we're talking about. It makes it more likely for these, for Satan to get a foothold in these relational conversations and these relational issues that we, I think are the crooks of the problem because you can't have multiple, you can't have 150 relationships of depth. And and so the big church that, you know, I think you can have amazing big churches and obviously there are amazing big churches, but I would have to say if I've worked with them or sat with them, it's because they're like a bunch of little churches within a big church. And the ones that are huge, that have a lot of toxicity within the culture is 
They have one superstar person who makes all the decisions. He's isolated and exhausted. And then everybody's really continuing to show up in hopes that one day I'll have friends. One day I'll be known. One day I'll be connected. And Mm. I'm just going to run through this for 15 years exhausted and frustrated, but this is just what it is. So I guess I'll just keep coming every Sunday and Wednesday. And I think that's where we've kind of landed. Oh, that's such good perspective. Um, I, I, one thought I had was, you know, so much of our church perspective, at least in the, the um, kind of the more charismatic leaning evangelical church in America. Um, and I'm not saying anybody uses this language, but it's, but it, it seems like the tendency we've grown to is as church leadership, our tendency has become, we want to perform church really well Mm -hmm. for people, for constituents, for congregants. We want them to have a good experience. Yep. So, you know, and we would never use the word perform, but man, I can't think of a better word to substitute there uh, other than, Hey, let's put on a good performance. Let's do everything we can really well so that people's experience when they come to our church is good. And, and that, look, I can talk to you about excellence. I love culture. I love, um, you know, developing culture and and excellent um, dynamics that, that really do communicate care and love to, to the body of Christ. However, the, the shift that I, that I submit has got to take place is, is we've got to, We've got to do a better better job, yes, equipping the saints for ministry, but really, really buying into this idea that we are the church. We don't perform church. We don't, we're not going to church as a building. While that's so easy to do because it's just part of our, you know, it's kind of become part of the wallpaper of our, our church culture. And the people are the church. And so leadership has got to be, Man, like I've I've got to as somebody who is kind of carrying a burden of leadership to 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 obediently spearhead planting a church, it, it has nothing to do with me. I'm I'm ready to get out of the way, and I'm not saying I'm doing it right. I'm just, yeah, just going, yeah. man, I want, I want these emphases to be the the driving forces behind what <laughs> what emerges from here, rather than man, Derek and Nicole, look at how how shiny and awesome and how charismatic and maybe they're the next celebrity pastor. Let's surround them and help them become the, all the things we hope that they could become. And they blow up on social media. It's like, man, I, I don't mean to disappoint anybody, but that's just not our goal. We, we love to become a community of believers who together uh, our gifts emerge, our gifts are discovered, our gifts are cultivated. And we, and we really become, a body of believers that yeah. wherever we meet on the weekend, we're we're walking in a process of personal discipleship with the Lord, but com- communal and collective discipleship together, where where that actually is the goal. Like the goal of the church and the treasure of the church is Christ Himself. So everybody's after that. Yeah. Like like this is kind of controversial right now, and it's interesting. You know, a lot of times we say that the goal of the church is is outreach or like this broader thing, and that's historically never been the case. Historically, the case of the church is the gathering of believers mm-hmm. and the byproduct of the gathering of believers is that those on the outside are added 
to their number. You know, the Bible says daily the Holy Spirit added to their number those who were being saved. Like, but but the 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 church is that gathering, and and so we want to cultivate discipleship. We want to we want to like really serve God's people, and and our philosophy is that we believe the outcome of discipling people, learning to follow Jesus together, is that you know the city or wherever we're planted um, will will benefit from that good, but we believe that the good surrounds the core of that goal, that treasure, who is Jesus. Yeah, man, that's great. I mean, I think originally, right, if we look back to the scripture, what Jesus was trying to create was something for people to look at to go, these are my followers, right? I mean, that's so clear. Yeah. And so these are my followers because they're full of me and they have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness right. and gentleness and goodness and self-control and if we look around at how we interact on social media, if we look around at how the church deals with politics, if we deal, look around with what we call the church, it just, it's not me saying that it's not Derek saying that, right? It's, it's scripture saying, does it look like that? And the resounding answer for everybody should be no. And so that doesn't mean all churches don't, but as a whole, that's what, that's what we're seeing. And that's a problem. And, yeah. and, and that's not because me and you have the answers or because we're doing it perfectly right. But there are people like you, people that I meet with every week who are, who are ready for a breakthrough in this area. And I think, you know, you planting and doing what you're doing, man, I just, I commend you for that. I love your thought process on this stuff. I think if I can encourage you, you're right in the spot, not that I'm anybody, but dude, like you're right in the spot because you know, we're my friend Tyler and I and a couple other guys are, are working on this book and these principles and like because we've had the same I've had the same conversation for 10 years now with pastors and with people in the church and people who come in for Christian counseling and are looking for depth. And and I've been wrestling with like, what do I do? Like, what's my job as a psychotherapist and a therapist? And why is that different than a pastor? And what? And so I'm in the mm -hmm. midst of this kind of identity shift in my own personal life and, and what that means. And so, man, I just encourage you that you're, you're right on track and you're, you're pushing against the grain, right? And Matthew talks about that, you know, the narrow is the road and few find it and wide is the gate to hell and many go on it. And so we look at church culture, if you're doing what everybody's doing in America in church culture, then you're in the wide. And that's, that's just true. You know, it's, you're in the majority, then something's wrong, even if it's church. But if yeah. we're looking at our lives in 2024 and going, okay, what can we do differently than what's happening? Because obviously, you know, we have a reduction in numbers. We have a reduction in, in people being healthy. We have a Shreveport, Louisiana, you know, for example, is 97% Christian. It's like, okay, well, is that what it looks like? Because I'm not here to judge anybody, but the fruit should speak for itself. So true. And, um, and obviously that fruit is only by God's sovereignty and his design and the Holy Spirit's power. But we've got to do something different. And I think the difference isn't really arguing whether there should be a big church or a small church. It should be discussing within those contexts, how deep are we going? You know, what's the depth of our faith? And if we look at how Jesus and the disciples did it and what they focused on and the conversations they have, are we having those conversations? And if we can get back to that, get back to just basics and get back mm -hmm. to the principles that Jesus is applying and teaching and the disciples are walking out. And then what a wonderful place to start. 
Yeah. And, but that takes a lot of humility and that takes a lot of like being okay with not having a lot of people follow you, you know, and being okay with people leaving and being okay with people coming and being like, well, this isn't really what I want. Like the lights aren't this way. The music's not this way. We don't do all these things that are like, you know, that these other churches do. So man, I'm going to go over here to this church because it's, I like their speaker. He's on Instagram. He does this. Like you have to be in a place as a person if this is what God's calling you to, to be okay with all yeah. that. And you know, if you're wounded and you're looking for that affirmation to be external and you're doing the same thing you're calling people not to do, then it's more likely that you need all of that and you stay stuck. Goodness. I think you just hit the nail on the head. And, you know, the last thing I would just submit to anyone out there listening, you know, there's a cost to this. I mean, because society values big, society values uh, the the broad. And I'm not, I'm not trying to speak salvifically while society does value the broad salvifically. It's just in general, society values bigger and better and flashier. So there is a cost. I, I won't get into specifics, and I know we're at the end of our time, but I, um, I, I'm already experiencing the cost of of moving in this direction. It's just mm-hmm. it's difficult reality to face. I am, you know, I, and I've I've come face to face with the temptation to go the broad route. Like it's a it's a it's a very clear, obvious temptation. Mm-hmm. The thing that I feel specifically called to do, and there's there's more depth to this, but you know, there's this idea that that churches should commit to this idea of attractional, like everything we should do is attractional. Now, I don't want to be stiff arming the world if they want to come in and and see what we're doing. But, but rather than attractional, what we're training our people to value, rather than, than the, the, the flash and the draw, we want to we value transformational. And so we want our culture to, um, to, to focus on that, man, how, how is the Lord transforming you from the inside out? And how can we as a, as a body collectively experience that together, celebrate that in one another and let that be, I, I, I let that kind of be the driving force mm-hmm. that makes us go, man, in order for us to be transforming ourselves and in order for us to be a transformational culture, we act there, there are logical logical conclusions. One of those being is we will not experience the transformation that the Holy Spirit has for us unless we value discipleship. And then it lends itself to closer relationships, transparency, honesty. So it really, to, to me, our, our value is, 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 is kind of a paradigm shift as a church from the attractional model. And what we're saying is we want to be a, if there is a model, we want to be transformational. And man, I want that value to galvanize into our, our church body so that the value of discipleship, relationship, transparency, accountability, mentors, apprenticeship, whatever you want to call it, just becomes the forefront of our, our spiritual formation and the lived out experience of those who are really pressing in to be part of the church. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you got to go. I want to say this to people listening, 
just a, I'm a, I love caveats. So my biggest thing that I, drives me crazy is when people just talk about things and they don't make sure they tie, tie the bow on it. So one, big church is always perspective. Uh, you know, 150 people can be a huge church in some countries and in some places. 40,000 people can be a big church in some places and can be small. Like, so when we're saying big church, what we, the, the pushback I think we're both giving or we're questioning is big churches where there are isolated leaders and where people don't feel connected because of the numbers and because of the system, not, not the actual numbers of the church. Yeah. Because if somebody is, is, is out there right now and they're like, well, I've been prayed up. I've, I've talked to my friends. I've talked to my wife. I've talked to my uh, accountability partners. I've been to therapy. I feel like God, God is calling me to start an Instagram page and, and, and lead a big church. Amazing. Just Absolutely. make sure, make sure all those things are in place, right? Like if you're, if you're doing all of those things, then it's, it's a risk assessment. Like you're probably pretty low in the risk and pretty high in the, the fact that God wants you to do this. So there's, there's no shade at a big church or a small church. It can, it can all be messy. You it's people, right? We're all sinners. And if me and me and you leading anybody, we're going to mess up and screw up. So Absolutely. I just, I want to clarify that for both of us. And then ultimately, like, I just want to remind people that, being in a church is better than not being in a church, you know, pushing and trying to find a community is so important. However, if you feel like Derek talked about in the beginning, and we've talked about this on other episodes and, and me and you probably just need to do schedule you for six months from now and like do another one. To, Cause I think we could talk about all kinds of amazing stuff, but if you're in a, in a position with a pastor or a leader who makes you feel crazy or who you uh, find yourself questioning who you are and your identity and your worth and value and what you have to bring, then one, you need to talk to somebody else outside of that system and make sure, you know, get that, get that mirror that goes, okay, am I, is this me? Is this them? And, and you do not need to stay in that environment. You, you need to shift and find something out. And that's just a biblical call. Like you don't need to stay in a abusive narcissistic relationship with a pastor, a leader, a parent, a spouse, um, who is unwilling to change, who's unwilling to have conversation and who continues to make you feel crazy. Now that's different than someone's mean or someone's kind of a, you know, a br- or I don't like this church. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, he, like the worst he's church. gruff a little bit sometimes, or, yeah. you know, sometimes he comes like you need to be in community with other people and have some mirrors in your life. But once you do that and you realize, okay, they're all saying the same thing. I'm not crazy. I've done all I can do. It's okay to leave. It's okay to go find a different community. And that's not church shopping. And yeah. I think it's important for us to say that at the end, just because there's a lot of church hurt out there, man. And, and I think there's a lot of advice on both sides that are very um, all or nothing. And I, I always try to you know find us being in the middle where it's, it's both and, and it's reminding people that like, there's not a one answer to everything, but I can guarantee if you're getting support, if you're getting accountability, if you're asking other people, if you have people look in your life, you're, you're more likely to be making the right choice. Yeah, man. The church is beautiful. The church is the bride of Christ. Absolutely. We're, we're champions for the church. We're champions for, for all churches, man. I want, I want to see churches get healthy that aren't healthy. You know, uh, I, I think it was uh, Charles Spurgeon that said, if, if you find a, a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Yeah. 100%. You know, I mean, I'm, there's just no perfect church, but uh, man, I, I think if we, if we can, just really sink our hearts and our, our identities and who Jesus really is, what the gospel really is, and what the implications of the gospel are for all the body of Christ. And we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of progress and and health come to the church. 
Absolutely, man. Well, thank you for your time, guys. Check this thank episode you. out, and uh, we'll connect soon. God bless you guys, and have a good week.